Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 24 from verse 13 to 35 and it's on page 885. It's the story of two of Jesus' disciples who, after his death, were travelling on a small on a road down to the small town called Emmaus and how Jesus appeared to them and how he taught them. So Luke 24 from verse 13 on page 885 in the Pew Bibles. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognising him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So far the reading. The sermon today is entitled, Do We Have Emmaus Hearts? Do We Have Emmaus Hearts? Hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's 2020 vision, as the saying goes. 
That's particularly true when we look back some 2,000 years. We can clearly see that Good Friday was followed by Easter Sunday. Jesus died on the cross on Friday and he was raised from the dead on Resurrection Sunday. That's quite clear to us. But put yourself in the place of Jesus' disciples on that first Easter weekend. These men and women had followed him some for years. But this Jesus, the one who they thought was the Redeemer, has been crucified. He's dead. He's been put in a tomb. All hope seemed gone. The darkness that had come with Jesus' death had also settled in the minds and the hearts and the souls of his disciples. They would have been distraught, devastated, despondent and dazed. Their master was gone. So too, they thought, was their hope. And this is where our passage picks up the story. Verses 13 to 24 give us the the context against which the teaching of Jesus takes place. And the rest of the passage then falls into four sections. In verse 25, we are told how Jesus reproached these two travellers. The next two verses tell us about how he taught them. Verses 28 to 31 tell us about how they eventually came to understanding. And then verse 32 through to 35 tell us about their response. So it's about reproach, about religious education, about um, how they recognised Christ and then their response. If you like, four R's. Reproach, R-E, recognition and response. Let's first just briefly look at at the context against which this takes place in verses uh, 13 to 24. If we follow the Jewish way of counting of Friday being the first day and Saturday being the second, this was the third day after Jesus' death. It was Sunday, the day after their Sabbath. And on the same day that the empty tomb was discovered, Cleopas and another of Jesus' followers were on the way to the small town called Emmaus. From what the best manuscripts tell us, Emmaus was about 11 kilometres outside of Jerusalem. And these two people were on their way there. And while we don't know the reason for their travel, we can appreciate that as followers of Jesus, they would have been numbed with grief. They were devastated, despondent and and downcast. They would have been uncertain about what what had happened and also uncertain about what what the future held for them. As they walked, they were in deep discussion, trying to make sense of the things that had taken place. And it was a a lively discussion. The words used here mean throwing their thoughts back and forth. They were focusing on what was past, on, on the death of Jesus, on the puzzling news of his empty tomb. And into this conversation steps a stranger, at least a stranger to them, for their eyes were kept from recognising the very same one about whom they were talking. Ironically, these living disciples are talking about a dead Jesus who is very much alive and walking with them. Now, some have suggested that their eyes were blinded by Satan, but that's the exact opposite of what the language of this text tells us. It points to to God who prevents them from recognising Jesus. It's this lack of recognition that allows Jesus to draw them out 
asking them leading questions to let them explain their understanding of events. In essence, they needed to come to grips with what had happened and especially why it had happened. I'm reminded of what Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And it's the same idea. Jesus explained to them that all of Scripture points to him and was fulfilled in him. This is where their problem lies because they haven't understood this. And this is why he firstly reproaches them. In verse 25, In their despair about Jesus' death, these two disciples didn't remember that Jesus said he would rise on the third day. They recognised that this was the third day and they'd heard from the woman who went to the tomb and found it empty. They knew some of the disciples who had also gone to the tomb but they didn't find Jesus there. They just couldn't make this link. And from our vantage point, we might be tempted to say, how can you miss it? It's so clear. That's the advantage of hindsight, isn't it? However, we should, we should resist that temptation. For we don't know what we would have done or how we would have responded under those same circumstances. Moreover, brothers and sisters, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their failure to make the link or not, for not understanding the evidence of the resurrection. He rebukes them for something else. Listen again to what he says. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He rebukes them for reading the scriptures without understanding and without belief, without having that bigger context. Their problem isn't a problem of the, of the head, but of the heart. He rebukes them because they haven't really understood or believed what scripture says. And that, that's foolishness, Jesus says. That's foolishness. And the foolishness that he speaks of doesn't mean stupidity. It means a lack of understanding. These are sincere people. People who've travelled with Jesus, who've listened to him, who've seen the miracles that he made. But, Jesus says, they haven't understood what it's all about because they have been slow of heart. They saw how the events unfolded, but they didn't understand why. Their lament in verse 19 was basically that the Jesus whom they'd believed would set them free was just another defeated prophet. They knew what scripture said, but they couldn't apply it to what had happened. And it's this lack of understanding that Jesus addresses next when he takes them into his personal religious education class. But before we join them in their class, let's just take a moment to look at at one example, just one example of what this lack of understanding, this lack, this slowness of heart looks like today. You know, there are many people who know very well, full well, what Scripture says, but they do not take it to heart, or they simply just couldn't care. We probably all know people who grew up in church, did a profession of faith, were involved with church activities, but then stepped away from God. Some may have done this when tragedies came their way and they, they couldn't understand why God would, would allow such things to happen to them. Others may have walked away from God's path to satisfy their own desires. But whatever those reasons, whatever those reasons were, such people know 
what God's word says, what God's word says especially about surrendering <coughs> all to Jesus. They even know the consequences of not su- surrendering all to Jesus. But despite that knowledge, there's that deep lack of understanding. All that head knowledge hasn't taken the short 30 to 40 centimeter journey down into their hearts. Dearest friends, that slowness of heart is pure foolishness. And it's foolishness with eternal consequences. If we know someone in this position, we have to, we must bring them before God's throne of grace. And we must do that in earnest prayer. We must implore God to lead them to finding the newness of life that can only be found in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved in Christ, if we were to find ourselves in that position, in a similar position, there's also only one way out. One way out is to come before God in humility, to beg his forgiveness and to accept the mercy that he extends in Jesus. May our gracious God forgive any slowness of heart that we might have. Let's return to the the RE class. So Jesus firstly approaches these two travellers, then in verses 26 to 27 he proceeds to teach them. It appears that these good folk didn't quite understand that Jesus had to die before he could enter into his glory. They also didn't truly understand that Jesus was the fulfilment of the Old Testament prophecies. They were sincere in their belief in Jesus, but they haven't given a sufficient thought to what scripture says about the Saviour. This is why they then in a sense had to go, had to undergo RE, and it's exactly that RE that Jesus provides. Now we're not told which passages he went to, or which passages he covered, but it's fair to say that the journey to Emmaus was, was a bit short to cover each and every text. But whatever text or whatever images Jesus may have used, he gave them a true master class in redemption theology, explaining how everything fitted together, how inescapably scripture points to him and was fulfilled in him. You might ask, why did Jesus take this route of first drawing them out before showing them how scripture points to him? Why didn't he just allow them straight away to see him as the resurrected Messiah? After all, he knew exactly where they were at in their spiritual journey. He's the Lord after all. He knew the geography of their lives. He knew the temperature of their souls. He knew that they were sad, that they needed comfort, that they needed assurance. And revealing himself to them would have allowed them to experience that comfort and assurance and joy so much more quickly. The point here is that they needed to understand the truth about Jesus from Scripture. They needed to understand deep down more and more of the gospel. He unfolded the truth to them about himself so that they could have this this firm foundation, the, the understanding of the truth of the gospel before experiencing the presence of the risen Christ. What application does that have for us today? My friends, in churches across the world, 
Many believers want a quick and sudden experience with Jesus. We see this in the way the music ministry has taken center stage in so many churches rather than God's word. Worship has become defined or redefined as just the music rather than the whole service. We see it in how often emotion often drives the, the experience of the church. But beloved, if this is just above, about rather an emotional experience or an emotional response, if this is just about the Jesus is my boyfriend feeling, if there's no understanding of, of the biblical truth and no gospel understanding that forms the, the foundation of that experience, then it's useless. When that emotion wears off, then there's even a greater feeling of emptiness. It's like people who are addicted to drugs. As soon as that drug wears off, there's an even bigger need for it. When that emotion wears off, then there's an even greater experience, a greater feeling of emptiness. We will never experience real joy if we don't understand what lies behind that joy. And this understanding is food for our, for our souls. Just like Jesus did with, the, with these two travelers, we need to understand all of Scripture. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, we must search in all of Scripture for the things concerning Jesus. It will deepen our understanding. It will allow us to give, give the truth to those who are seeking. It will allow, allow us to give hope and comfort to those who are in need. And it will allow us to grow closer and closer to our wonderful, our wonderful triune God. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, we must search all of Scripture for the things concerning Jesus. So Jesus reproached these two disciples. He's given them a religious education class, but their journey with him wasn't yet finished. For they've not yet come to know who their teacher is. That recognition was still to come. When Jesus acted as if he wanted to travel on, the two disciples wouldn't hear of it. They wouldn't have a bar of soap about it, as it were. Stay with us, they strongly suggested. They urged him. One commentator suggests that they sensed something in Jesus that they couldn't quite identify, but they nevertheless realised that they didn't want to be without him. Now that might be true, we don't know, but there is something deeper here. You see, Jesus has taken the time to appear to these two disciples to help them in their sorrow. He's shown them how all scripture points to him. He has unfolded the truth to them. He has given them all that they need to believe and to live. But he doesn't force that on them. Yes, he's stretched out his loving arms to them, but he leaves the decision up to them to, to sign up, so to speak. Now he was waiting for them to open up that door to come in. You see, through Jesus' teaching, their hearts had been warmed. The lack of understanding or the unbelief for which Jesus had reproached them 
had begun to be replaced by understanding, Jesus opened their hearts. Their understanding wasn't based on the experience of seeing the resurrected Jesus. It was based on what God's word says. It was based on biblical truth. It was based on scripture, not on experience or emotion. They'd started to understand that Jesus was Isaiah's suffering servant. They started to understand that he was the Lamb of Atonement, that he was the true bread of heaven, and that he had to die on that rugged yet blessed cross. They'd begun to see that that Jesus' death and resurrection was necessary. And as they began to understand this, as Jesus' words began to work in their hearts, as as he began to warm their hearts, as it were, their hearts became open. And they wanted more. Jesus accepted their invitation. He went in to share the meal with them. And in language that is strikingly similar to the, to the Last Supper, he, he took the bread and blessed it. Now we're not going to speculate about what it was that caused their eyes to be opened at that very moment. We know that it was God's work, that it was God at work. But this was their light bulb moment. In verse 24, they'd lamented about the fact that they hadn't seen Jesus, but now they recognize him just before he vanishes. Their encounter with the risen Lord may have come to an end, but it would make a lasting impact on them. Can you imagine the the inexpressible joy that they would have felt? Jesus is alive. He's here. He's alive. Everything that Scripture prophesied about him was true and they recognized that. All their anxieties, all their their insecurities, all their grief would have melted away by by the recognition that Jesus is risen, that he's risen indeed as scripture promised. When they started on their journey to Emmaus, they were distraught, dejected, devastated. On the road they met the risen Lord Jesus they didn't realize who he was at the time, but the stranger rebuked them. He also gave them an extended lesson in redemptive history, redemptive theology. That re-education opened their hearts to understanding. They recognized Jesus, and that recognition would impact on them for the rest of the life, their lives. Listen to what they said. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Not only did they recognize Jesus, they also realized how his explanation of Scripture caused something to stir in them, something to change in them. And that recognition and realization didn't just remain a warm, fuzzy feeling in their hearts. It wasn't just emotion. Their grief hadn't just turned to joy. Their disappointment hadn't just turned into delight. Their gloom hadn't just morphed into optimism. Their earthly hopelessness hadn't just flicked over into eternal hope. It was all of those rolled into one, plus more. There was a response. Their burdened hearts were transformed into burning hearts. Hearts aflame with the resurrection fire. They'd met with the risen Christ. 
And once they understood what he had said, once they had seen him, they couldn't help, but they couldn't keep it to themselves. They couldn't help but to start spreading the news. They wanted to be witnesses for the risen Christ. They just had to spread this fantastic news. Back in verse 29, we were told that it was getting dark. Now, perhaps the road to Emmaus wasn't as bad as that infamous road down to Jericho, yet it still wouldn't have been a good idea to travel at night. But that didn't dampen their spirits, for with hearts of flame, they rose immediately. At that same hour, they arose and returned to Jerusalem where they heard the news that Jesus has also appeared to, to Simon, to Peter. Beloved, Jesus has risen. He's alive. And because he is alive, we are alive in him as well. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. And because of his resurrection, you and I have the blessed assurance that we too will be resurrected. We will live in God's presence. And we'll do that forever. That's magnificent news. But how are we responding to this brilliant, this magnificent news that the crucified Jesus is also the risen Christ? Has it captured our hearts? Has that news so grabbed hold of your heart that you just cannot help sharing it with others? Sharing it in word? Sharing it with deeds? The task before us is enormous. The harvest is great, as Scripture says. There are great opportunities out there. In our community, in our retirement village, at school, at uni, even on the train or the bus, there are great opportunities. The question is this. Are we willing to travel those short 11 kilometers to our Jerusalem to be witnesses for Jesus? Even when there might be obstacles on the road. We might not be facing bandits on the road, but more and more we will be opposed by those whose hearts have been hardened. That's a fact. It's happening already. We all know that. Are you willing, are we willing to step out in faith, securing the knowledge that, that the one who has overcome sin and death will carry us through no matter what we face? Friends, if we don't have that understanding of Jesus, then we don't know God's word well enough. Jesus, the resurrected one, has been given all authority all authority over everything that exists, everything that will ever exist. He's given authority and power over death. He's given the power and authority to give new birth. And that's glorious news to share. Are we sharing it? Are we sharing it? Beloved in Christ, there's no greater privilege than knowing the Son of God. We know him by recognizing that God raised him from the dead to become the centerpiece of God's plan and his promise. And it is the call to everyone, yes, everyone whose heart Jesus has touched to travel their own road back from Emmaus to our Jerusalem with hearts aflame to, to make known the wonderful news of the crucified Lord Jesus Christ. 
the wonderful news of the risen Christ. It may be a lonely road. It may be a dangerous road. It might be a road full of huge potholes. But it's the road that you and I must take. We must take if the Lord has touched our hearts. Brothers and sisters, do we have Emma's hearts? Hearts that are aflame with the news and the knowledge and the understanding that Jesus is alive and that because he is alive, we are alive too. Are our, 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 our hearts aflame with the Holy Spirit, ready, ready and willing to witness for the resurrected Lord Jesus? Or are our hearts perhaps aflame only on days like these when we gather to celebrate the resurrection of our living Lord? Are are our hearts aflame with the, the flame of the Holy Spirit ready and willing to serve and to witness for the resurrected Lord Jesus? Or are they just aflame on days like this when we gather to celebrate the resurrection? of our living Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning to draw near to us. Lord, we don't expect any extraordinary revelations or the physical experience of our Lord Jesus. But we do desire the real presence of Christ in, in our lives. We desire to have our hearts warmed. And we desire, O oh Lord, also to respond to that warming of our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask that you will instruct and, and warm and challenge our hearts today that you'll do that tomorrow, that you'll do that every day. And Lord, guide us and direct us in such a manner that we will live lives that proclaim the good news of the crucified and risen Jesus so that others may hear and come to you as well. We ask this, Father, in the name of Jesus, our risen Saviour. Amen.